there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. In 2004 at the University of Edinburgh, a strange experiment was taking place. To an outside observer, it must have looked like something out of an alien abduction. A male student in his 20s, a lab rat working for class credit rather than cheese, reclined on a large, comfortable leather chair. Resting on each of the student's closed eyes was one half of a plastic ping-pong ball. This was the receiver. The room was awash in a soft red light that came from a single bright bulb on the ceiling. The receiver wore a pair of oversized headphones that buzzed with white noise. The goal of the exercise, called a Gansfeld experiment, was to induce the young student into a sort of dream state through sensory deprivation. As researchers in white lab coats observed him through a large plate glass window, the receiver spoke as if in a trance. His phrases were short, often a single word and nonsensical. He said, trees, people running, fleeing, falling muddy. At the same time, in the room next door, another student, the sender, watched a film clip of a man running through the forest. As the footage played, the sender saw the man fall into a muddy pool. The man on the film slipped under the surface of the muddy pool, and the subject in the sensory deprivation chamber reacted. As if he could see the film in front of him, he calmly said, dead man in the water, dead man in the water. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know, but in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app 
and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you are listening. It really does help. This is our first episode on extrasensory perception, also known as ESP. The word was first coined by psychologist J.B. Rhine as an umbrella term for psychic abilities like intuition, precognition, telepathy, and clairvoyance. Scientists have debated for years whether these powers actually exist. Researchers on both sides have attempted to create the perfect experiment to conclusively prove or disprove the existence of ESP. This week, we'll discuss the psychic abilities attributed to ESP and the history of controversial research on the subject. Next week, we'll dive deeper into the evidence for and against the existence of ESP and try to discover once and for all if people really do have a sixth sense. The idea of human beings having special extrasensory powers has been around for millennia. While most of the information we take in about the world is through sight, hearing, taste, touch, or smell, there have always been stories and anecdotes of sixth senses. People have claimed to see visions in dreams, read other people's minds, and even send messages with their own thoughts. Many people can recall a time they got a bad feeling about something only for a problem to occur, or were thinking about someone only for them to later call on the phone. Extrasensory perception is a phenomenon in which a person can learn information without using their typical sensory faculties. Premonitions, visions, and psychic gifts are all thought to be types of ESP. These gifts are supposedly stronger with certain people, such as mediums, psychics, and shamans. The experience seems incredible. Say you were to wake up with an intense feeling that something was wrong with your sister, who lived 500 miles away. Later that day, you find out her house was broken into. You may say such a thing was a psychic episode or precognition, but statistically, it's not that incredible just unusual. All of the Earth's 7 billion people go through a number of significant events each day. They make plans, wonder about what's going to happen to them, and daydream about things that could take place that day. With such a large sample size, it's inevitable that on some days certain people will experience things they had previously envisioned. In fact, it's a certainty. For decades, however, scientists have been trying to determine whether some people are more susceptible to predicting things that are going to happen or otherwise gaining knowledge through some paranormal avenue. This is where extrasensory perception comes in. The main abilities included under the umbrella of ESP are all psychic in nature. The most common is intuition, which is the ability to gain knowledge without actively learning it or reasoning one's way to it. A good example of this is when someone has a gut feeling about something that later proves true. Telepathy, another ESP ability, is when one human can send or receive messages or information with another via the mind. 
Psychometry is when someone with ESP abilities gains information by touching a physical object. Clairvoyance is the ability to see something happening in the present time at another location. Precognition is the ability to see the future, and retrocognition is the ability to see things in the distant past. Telekinesis, or psychokinesis, is the ability to move or influence objects in one's environment with one's mind. The final major ability grouped with ESP is mediumship. A medium can conjure and speak with dead spirits. All of these abilities have been present in anecdotes and folktales over the years, often attributed to shamans, wise women, or psychics. Recorded stories of psychic ability go back as far as the 8th century BCE. That's when the oracle at the Temple of Apollo in Delphi, Greece, was legendarily gifted with the power of prophecy. The modern scientific pursuit of ESP didn't truly begin until a man named Dr. J.B. Rhine began formal experiments to prove its existence in the early 20th century. In May of 1922, J.B. Rhine hadn't even heard of ESP, much less studied it. The 26-year-old was working towards a master's degree in botany at the University of Chicago when he got word that famed novelist Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was in town to give a talk. Doyle is known today as the brilliant mind behind Sherlock Holmes, London's fictional greatest detective and the archetype for practically all private investigator stories to follow. During his lifetime, Doyle was also one of the most prominent advocates for spiritualism. Spiritualism was a religious movement popular in the late 1800s and early 1900s, which adopted the belief that the spirits of the dead existed and wanted to speak with the living. Spiritualists used seances, spirit boards, and hypnotic trances to commune with the dead. Doyle believed that humanity could contact ghosts and founded a number of psychical societies to research the phenomenon. Doyle was like an early 20th century paranormal investigator. He chased poltergeists, attended seances, and wrote multiple books about spiritualism and his belief in the existence of ghosts and fairies. When the curtain rose on Doyle's Chicago lecture, J.B. Rhine and his wife Louisa were in attendance. They'd most likely heard of spiritualism in passing, but were not avid followers of the movement. Their main motivation for attending was to hear a lecture by the great author. But as Doyle spoke, their curiosity was piqued by his paranormal claims. Doyle presented his supposed scientific proof that communication with the dead was actually possible. Rhine, a student of science, was impressed by Doyle's arguments and his name-dropping of respected intellectuals who believed in spiritualism. Rhine began to think about the world beyond what our senses tell us. In a later publication, Rhine wrote that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's theory on the possibility of communing with the dead was the most exhilarating thought I had had in years. This was J.B. Rhine's first step towards his eventual life's work in studying extrasensory perception. Though Rhine had spent years studying botany, in 1926, at the age of 30, he decided to change course. Rhine left his teaching position at the Boyce Thompson Institute for Plant Research in Yonkers, New York, 
and moved with his wife, Louisa, to Cambridge, Massachusetts. There, Ryan enrolled in the psychology department at Harvard. Ryan and Louisa began making contacts with Boston-area psychological researchers and self-proclaimed mediums in order to find reliable proof of psychic phenomena. Their first big insight came when they were invited to attend a seance by Mina Crandon, a famed medium who counted Sir Arthur Conan Doyle as an ardent fan. Mina was no stranger to controversy. She claimed she could commune with the dead and would host seances in the nude, attempting to contact her deceased brother, Walter. Mina could also control spirits and command them to make items glow and levitate around the room. During the 1926 seance, Ryan closely observed Mina as she worked with glowing household objects. At one point, he saw Mina, pretending to be in a trance state, kick a glowing megaphone to make it look as if it were levitating on its own. When Ryan attempted to publish an expose on Mina's fraudulent seances, he was turned down by the American Society for Psychical Research. Mina was a popular figure at the society and seen by many as living proof of paranormal and spiritualist powers. The society was ostensibly dedicated to researching the existence of paranormal occurrences, but didn't want to publicly skewer their own favored daughter. Ryan was able to publish his expose in the Journal of Abnormal Social Psychology, sending waves through the paranormal research community. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the man who inspired Ryan on his scientific journey, published an article in response in a Boston newspaper. The title of the article? J.B. Ryan is an ass. Perhaps it was his negative experience in Boston that inspired 31-year-old J.B. Ryan to pick up and move with his wife, Louisa, in 1927. He took a position at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina, under his former Harvard psychology professor, William McDougall. He wasn't deterred from his quest to find people with true ESP abilities. During his first few years at Duke, Ryan sought out real psychics and mediums with varying success. During this time, Ryan received a letter about a horse named Lady in Virginia that he thought may have had the gift. Lady was able to answer complex questions by stomping her hooves on the ground a certain number of times. But Ryan's attempts to test the horse's ability quickly led to another disappointment. Upon closer examination, Ryan realized the horse was responding to signals from its owners. Undeterred by Lady's lack of paranormal powers, Ryan realized the only way to prove the existence of ESP was to test human subjects. At Duke, Ryan classified parapsychology as a branch of abnormal psychology and endeavored to study it in a scientific manner. For the first time ever, a university-backed research department studied parapsychology and ESP. Beginning in 1930, Ryan, now 34, conducted a series of laboratory tests to research ESP further. Ryan recruited a number of student subjects and teaching assistants to help him carry out his experiments. He worked with his colleagues, William McDougall and Carl Zener, to develop a new experimental method to qualitatively measure ESP ability. 
The experiments that J.B. Ryan headed would become some of the most infamous psychological experiments in the discipline's history. Ryan's research would lead him to conclude that undoubtedly, ESP is a real phenomenon. We'll dive deeper into Dr. J.B. Ryan's findings after this. Now, back to this unexplained mystery. In 1930, 34-year-old J.B. Ryan began a series of controlled laboratory experiments at Duke University to determine the existence of ESP. His research partner, Carl Zener, developed a pack of cards to use as an experimental tool. The cards, called Zener cards, came in a pack of 25. Each bore either a circle, square, wavy line, cross, or a star, and the pack contained five of each symbol. Ryan or an associate would sit down with the subject in the lab. He would be the sender, and the subject would be the receiver. After shuffling the deck, the sender would draw out a series of five cards at random. He would show the receiver the back of the card and attempt mentally to send the image on the front of the card to the receiver, who then guessed which symbol was on each card. Since each card had one of five different possible designs, statistically the receiver had a one in five chance of guessing it correctly. This is what Ryan referred to as the hit rate. If no ESP ability was affecting the receiver's answers, then they should have guessed correctly 20% of the time. For the most part, the receivers tested in the lab adhered to the hit rate. If a receiver scored far below that mark, Ryan and his team counted this as evidence of ESP ability. They deemed these subjects to be psi-missing, meaning that they had less psychic ability than the average person. In 1931, Ryan tested an economics student named Adam Lenzmeyer at his lab at Duke University. In his very first test, Adam scored 100%. He had guessed the symbols on all 25 cards with pinpoint accuracy. To further explore Adam's abilities, Ryan devised a 300-card test. This time, Adam guessed the correct card with 39.6% accuracy, well above the 20% probability. Here was what Ryan had been searching for since he first stepped outside Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's lecture. Proof of parapsychological phenomena in the real world. Ryan was certain that extrasensory perception was the reason for Adam Lenzmeyer's seemingly incredible scores. As 1931 went on, however, something seemed to impede Adam's ability. His scores started dropping into the 20s, placing him much closer to the hit rate. Ryan theorized that Adam, his star subject, may have been affected by boredom at the never-ending tests or he was distracted by his work towards his economics degree. Adam eventually dropped out of the study to focus on his education. 36-year-old Ryan thought he'd found another true ESP practitioner when he tested divinity student Hubert Pierce in 1932. Through numerous trials, Pierce held fast to an accuracy rate of approximately 40%. This was a surprisingly high score. But there's something to keep in mind. During the study, Pierce touched and handled the Zener cards. 
He even shuffled and cut the deck for each trial. While Pierce may have been honest in his intentions, by handling the cards, he very well could have influenced his own results. He may have seen some of the symbols accidentally. But Ryan, certain of Hubert's uncanny talent, decided to devise a new test. In 1933, Ryan enlisted the help of a research assistant named Joseph Gaither Pratt to test Hubert's psychic abilities. In this new test, Pratt would shuffle and then record the order of a pack of 25 Zener cards. Pierce would sit either 100 or 250 yards away in a vision-blocking library cubicle and attempt to guess the order of the 25 cards. The results were hard to read. From test to test, Hubert's change in accuracy was dramatic. He either guessed extremely accurately, well above the 20% hit rate, or extremely poorly, with only a handful of correct guesses. Statistically, Hubert should have come to 20% accuracy throughout the whole trial. The fact that his accuracy was so wildly erratic is curious. Ryan took this as more evidence of Hubert's psychic ability. The Pierce-Pratt experiments became the basis for Ryan's 1934 book, Extrasensory Perception, which also included the results of his trials with Adam Lenzmeyer. The text became an international sensation when it was published. Many believers in parapsychology saw it as irrefutable proof of the existence of ESP abilities. Others in the psychology field were a bit more hesitant to take Ryan's writing as gospel. Skeptics from universities across the United States, including Princeton, attempted to replicate the Zener card experiments. Their results were very different. After thousands of attempts, the other university psychology departments were unable to come up with anyone who achieved similar scores to Hubert Pierce or Adam Linsmeyer. Princeton published that they found no indication of any ESP among any of their subjects after performing over 25,000 trials. Other critics found flaws in the experiments themselves that could have led to skewed results. Since most of the trials were held with both the sender and receiver in the same room, it was possible for the receiver to cheat. Receivers could have glimpsed the symbols and reflections in the sender's glasses or even irises. The original Zener cards were of poor quality and printed on thin paper. Receivers may have seen the symbols through the backs of the cards or noticed imperfections that marked particular cards. Many of the subjects did the same trials over and over with the same senders and same packs of cards. After a while, the familiarity may have enabled them to select the correct symbol for some of the cards. Possibly, the subjects didn't cheat, but picked up on subconscious, unintended cues from their senders. This phenomenon is known as sensory leakage in ESP research circles. Ryan agreed with some of the criticism to his work. He decided to continue with his research, keeping his critics in mind and attempting to fix the flaws they pointed out. After publishing Extrasensory Perception in 1934, Ryan began trials to determine the existence of psychokinesis or telekinesis. Telekinesis is the ability to influence an object physically without touching it or using physical force. 
Think of the ability to make objects levitate or travel through the air. To test their ability, Ryan had subjects attempt to influence dice as they were being tossed in the air. He initially had his research assistants throw the dice with their hands. But after the criticism of his techniques in the Zener card trials, he switched to a dice-throwing machine. These trials had no standout subjects like the Zener card tests. Most subject scores were consistent with random chance. In 1940, at the age of 44, J.B. Rhine published another book called Extrasensory Perception After 60 Years with the intention of publishing more results and attempting to address the challenges to his laboratory methods. It endeavored to compile all relevant research done in parapsychology since 1880 and also included meta-analysis of his own book from six years prior. While Ryan admitted to possible influences on his subjects due to sensory leakage and mistakes made when recording, he still maintained that his experiments showed some of his subjects were particularly sensitive to ESP. The new experiments were dissected by skeptics and are generally thought of as plagued by the same issues as the original experiments. As a result, though Ryan first introduced ESP to the cultural lexicon and began the journey into researching it scientifically, his results indicating the presence of ESP are not accepted as fact by the scientific community. Despite this criticism, J.B. Ryan was undeterred in his research. He continued to hold experiments, conducting trials at the Duke Laboratory to test for telekinesis, precognition, and clairvoyance. At the same time, his wife Louisa ventured out into the world to find and catalog anecdotal evidence of ESP. Beginning in 1948, at the age of 57, Louisa E. Rhine read and analyzed the hundreds of letters that Rhine's lab had received recounting tales of ESP experiences. Her examinations greatly contributed to her husband's work and paranormal research as a whole. By the early 1960s, Ryan, who was now in his 60s, felt the need to take his research to the next level. Other scientists studying parapsychology had turned their interests toward the cognitive effects of ESP rather than simply trying to measure it. In this research, scientists were trying to develop a methodology to record subjective ESP experiences. They wanted to know how people felt and what they saw, not just how many cards they could accurately guess. In Ryan's limited experiments, this subjective analysis was impossible. His experiment only measured the receiver's ability to predict cards and nothing further. In 1962, Ryan created the Foundation for Research on the Nature of Man with his longtime mentor, William McDougall. The FRNM was meant to study the visions and sensations people had when experiencing ESP. They wanted to use that information to learn more about how ESP works. Three years later, in 1965, they moved the foundation off campus when Ryan reached the mandatory professor retirement age of 70. At the foundation, Ryan continued his research into ESP. But while Ryan was running his lab, other parapsychology researchers were using new and innovative techniques to dive deeper. These studies ran the gamut from dream telepathy to astral projection. 
The most famous were the Gansfeld experiments, which used a sensory deprivation technique to encourage ESP ability. Coming up, we'll take you inside a sensory deprivation chamber to learn more. Now, back to the experiments. Beginning in the 1960s, research into ESP and parapsychology shifted away from quantitative measurement of a subject's ability to use ESP. Now researchers were focusing on qualitative research. They wanted to know what it feels like to have ESP and how it manifested. The main tool used to facilitate this research were Gansfeld experiments. Gansfeld experiments, named after the German term for whole field, were thought of as a simple way of recreating spontaneous ESP experiences in a laboratory setting. Researchers could methodically remove stimuli and establish controls to eliminate sensory leakage. In most reported cases of spontaneous ESP experiences, that is, ESP occurring during someone's daily life, the receiver is in an altered state. Many reports are of someone having a dream that comes true or of going into a trance-like state and having a vision. The sender is also usually experiencing something dramatic or emotionally traumatic. A typical Gansfeld experiment looked like something out of a science fiction movie. First, a subject would go through a series of meditative or relaxing exercises. They would then lay on a bed or couch or sit in a chair with a warm red light shining on them. The light would be diffused so as not to be too harsh. The preferred method for many researchers was to cut a plastic ping-pong ball in two and place one half over each of the subject's eyes. Researchers would also feed white noise or random static to the subject through headphones. Sometimes this would be pink noise, which is a white noise with high frequencies removed. Other times, they would just play the sounds of a seashore. The desired effect was to reduce stimulation from the dominant senses, sight and hearing, to a pleasant, dreamy level. Researchers created this effect with the hope that the brain, cut off from normal stimuli, would be able to receive psychic imagery. To test a subject's ESP abilities, a sender was placed in a separate room. This sender would view a randomly selected visual, which could be a film, photograph, or a piece of art. The sender would focus on sending thoughts of this visual to the receiver in the Gansfeld room. The receiver then was encouraged to try to describe in detail what they were seeing. This description portion of the experiment would last about 30 minutes. After the subject was removed from the Gansfeld room, they were asked to view four pieces of visual stimuli and rate them on how close they matched what they saw during the experiment. A subject who could both accurately describe the stimulus during the Gansfeld session and pick it out of the lineup at the end was thought to have an aptitude for extrasensory perception. Gansfeld experiments became the de facto test for psychic or ESP ability during the latter half of the 20th century. Researchers were trying to avoid the sensory leakage and possibility of cheating that had plagued J.B. Ryan's early trials but it's hard to say if they were successful. In 1982, 
parapsychologist Charles Onerton and skeptic psychologist Ray Hyman put together an in-depth analysis of the 42 Gansfeld trials that had occurred up to that year. Onerton was certain that the experiments showed the existence of ESP. He claimed that the subject's accuracy was scored at 55%. According to probability, the accuracy should have been 25% if they were just guessing which of the four stimuli they'd received. Hyman wasn't so sure. For one thing, all of the studies did not follow the exact same procedure, making it hard to compare them. For another, many of the studies were very small in scope and only used a limited number of subjects. Hyman also thought that it was possible for the researchers to accidentally indicate the correct visual stimuli when presenting the four options to the test subject after their Gansfeld experience. Hyman recalculated the study's accuracy score at 33%, higher than the 25% that was dictated by chance, but nowhere near as high as Onerton's claim. Hyman and Onerton released a joint statement on the usefulness of Gansfeld experiments and their accuracy in detecting ESP. They said, there is an overall significant effect that cannot be reasonably explained by selective reporting or multiple analysis. We continue to differ over the degree to which the effect constitutes evidence for psi, but we agree the final version awaits the outcome of future experiments conducted by a broader range of investigators and according to more stringent standards. So there are a few ways researchers have attempted to test ESP, but it's not certain that they're conclusive. The tests, although imperfect, seem to indicate that something is making the subjects more accurate than sheer chance would dictate. The scientific community is reluctant to support the claims of parapsychologists or even admit that ESP could be real. Researchers who study ESP and the paranormal are optimistic, but after 90 years of study, they're still hesitant to declare outright that proof of ESP has been found. Many scientists feel that J.B. Ryan's tests had too much room for error and were not conclusive. The later Gansfeld experiments used too small a sample size to produce meaningful results. Yet, examples of ESP abilities have entered our cultural sphere with force. By the 1990s, the future was advertised as just a phone call away when you dialed Miss Cleo's toll-free 1-800 number. Don't go blindly through life. Let me use the power of the tarot to show you the way. Call me now for your free reading. Call 1-800-355-37. Even today, signs advertising palm readings and prophecies can be found on many city street corners. In 2005, a Gallup poll detailed the paranormal beliefs of the average American. According to the study, almost 75% of Americans adhere to at least one paranormal belief. The highest scores were for ESP, with 41% of respondents answering that they believed in it. And for the psychic services industry, those beliefs translate into big business. In 2018, Americans spent $2 billion on fortune tellers, mediums, and astrologers. Call it gut feelings, reading the future, or ESP. A large population of Americans at one time or another have experienced a sixth sense. But is it truly something paranormal? 
Or is there a more rational explanation? Next week, in part two on extrasensory perception, we'll dive deeper into a few theories surrounding the existence of ESP. First, we'll discuss the hypothesis that ESP is not a real phenomenon. There are many ways our brains trick us into believing we, or someone else, learned new information from a sixth sense. In actuality, this new information can come from educated guesses, sensory leakage, and much more. Second, we'll go through the most convincing arguments for the existence of ESP. There are thousands of anecdotal and documented cases of clairvoyance, telekinesis, precognition, and mediumship. Are all of those cases real ESP? Or is there another explanation? Third, we'll try to parse out what exactly causes ESP. Theories include an undiscovered form of energy, the act of a deity, and even an influence from another reality. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back Thursday with part two of ESP. For more information on ESP and parapsychology, amongst the many sources we used, we found the online Science Cyclopedia and Terence Hines' book, Pseudoscience and the Paranormal, extremely helpful to our research. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Unexplained Mysteries for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. See you next Thursday. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Maggie Admire, and Travis Clark. This episode was written by Molly Quinlan and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Thank you.